0: Welcome to the CityDAO Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert-Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals, just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at CityDAO.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the CityDAO pod with a special exclusive episode, specifically about the thing that started all this in the first place, Parcel Zero, the very first tweet that came out a little over a year ago, 2021 in July put out by Scott about maybe putting some land on chain. And what does that look like? And is that even possible? And it took a long time to get there. It was a a long road and with a lot of work by a lot of people. Hence the concept of what a DAO really is. And we finally got there by the help of two people here that I've brought in on the show to talk a little bit about it. Obviously, there was many, many hands involved in making this big work a reality. But specifically, we're going to talk a little bit here with Daniel and Mayer, and both of them have a unique angle and have been putting in a ton of sweat equity and mental energy into making this happen. So thanks for coming on the show here, guys. Just for clarity, anyone that's listening right now, the three of us are citizens. It's the first time we've had three citizens on the show simultaneously, so we might interrupt each other and have a little banter, and that's kind of the the fun. And if it goes well, and they don't piss me off too much, (laughs) maybe we'll do some more of this because I think it'll be really fun to have these more engaged discussions. It's really cool to see that we finally got to this point where there is now land on chain. This is something that's been accomplished. It's not something we're working towards. It's not something we're aspiring towards. It's something we've physically accomplished as a team, as a DAO, as a community, as a species, you could say. Humanity has put land on chain. And this is really exciting to me. So I'm super stoked to be here. I'm super stoked about the DAO. And we're in bear market right now, but I'm still feeling very bullish about what we're doing because this isn't a pump and dump. This isn't some shitcoin, get rich thing. This is about changing the world. This is about changing how we deal with each other and, and introducing new types of ethics into politics and a new way of dealing with each other and opening up so many different things that, that essentially is better us all. So price and market and all that stuff has nothing to do with the mission that we're doing and the mission that we're achieving. So anyway, there's my long ramble rant. And Mayor Daniel, thanks for coming on again. How are you guys doing?
1: We Doing, doing great. great.
0: Yeah. And. Where are you guys located right now? Where are you you calling from? I'm from Chicago. But you mysteriously have the Golden Gate Bridge in the background of your
1: Zoom. (laughs) Is that a jab? Do you secretly desire to come back out to California? Actually, my background is in civil engineering and real-life architecture. So that bridge, I'm a structural engineer, so I like designing bridges like this. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. And Daniel, where are you?
2: You'll be surprised to learn that I am in Denver, Colorado.
0: All right. East Denver on the Discord folks. And Mayor, it. what's your Discord?
1: You're, you're Mayor on Discord too, right? Yeah. Actually, Daniel and I met at Eat Denver. We were in the same CityDAO house. At, at the recent one? Yep. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, cool. So pretty new. Yeah. we. This was just back in February. And uh, yeah, Denver Citizen 9 is my handle. And then the CityDAO house was just outside of the city. They, they had a few people there. And yeah, we met. I live here, obviously, so I, I didn't have to stay there, but I went and hung out a little bit. I missed
0: out on that one. I'm definitely sad about it and uh, i'm actually considering nft london coming up possibly there's also a super bitcoin maximus one coming up in florida that i'm i'm thinking about as well but i mean none of them are going to be as big as denver and as big as nft nyc so i missed out on the double hit there but man i will be there definitely at the next one or maybe on parcel 0 if we end up doing something there or parcel 1 or however along, far along the roadmap we end up being there you, you go. know and that, that's a that's a good mm-hmm. starter subject i mean it started with a tweet about a year ago and obviously we've now successfully accomplished and. I think it's fair to say, I think it's accurate to say that we're the first to put land on chain. I think that's right. Is that how you guys understand it too?
2: I would caveat this a little bit because land on chain in the sense that the DAO owns the land, but we stopped short of having the NFT represent the actual land and the ownership of that land. So that was something we thought kind of early on was very important that we clarified. That said, this is DAO-owned property, right? This was purchased by a DAO. The NFT was distributed to all of the DAO members who wanted to get in on a piece of this. And I don't think anyone else has done that, and certainly no one else has gone to the level of granularity that we have for the data related to that.
0: So let's say if I were to start theoretically in a mystical world, start a DAO or start a corp, and use what CityDAO did as a roadmap. Let's say set up a corporation, put some capital into it, buy some land, and set up. One NFT and one NFT represents the voting, the entirety of the voting. So you're getting a 100% quorum and 100% engagement every time one vote per se is done. And I know this might be a little bit of a deeper legal question, and maybe it's outside of the context of what you guys were specifically working on. But I'm just wondering, like, does this create a roadmap? Because you said that we stopped short of putting the physical land from a specific NFT, and I get that that the NFTs are for governance of what to do with the land. So. Does that scale in the context of if I bought a house and had it purchased by my corp and put one NFT that governed the corp, does that mean that that one NFT essentially now governs what happens with that property? Because if it does, that's a roadmap that a lot of other ventures perhaps
2: could follow with. Yeah, I think all these things have to take into account the gap that we currently have between the traditional way of doing things and the on-chain Web3 future way of potentially doing these things. So a lot of those questions about how that works really just need to be answered. And every time we do this type of thing, we're taking a step towards finding that kind of final resolution, right? It's one thing for you and me to agree that the transfer of ownership happened between the two of us because we've recorded that transfer on chain. It's another thing if Park County, Wyoming says, you know what, we'll acknowledge this and we'll use this as you know a title transfer or something that is tracking the deed or recording that in some way. So I think we have a ways to go before we really get there. But I do think that these types of activities are the pieces, the building blocks that need to happen in order to get us there.
0: Do you guys know of any other DAO or have we been getting inquiries by anyone else that's trying to or wants to sort of duplicate the roadmap? Because I guess we could, I don't want to say open source, but there's definitely a lot of sharing here that can happen and people can not have to go through. As much effort and money, so to say, as we did. I mean, it's not our business. Like we don't profit by helping people do this. We're doing it because we want everyone to do it. So anyone that's involved in the community or has questions or is curious about how to do this for themselves, this is a call to action here. Anyone that's listening to this and you're curious about maybe doing this either for yourself or for someone else or in your area, reach out inside the discord because by default of no one else really having done this, we're kind of the only experts in the space. Sort of say, <laughs> do you guys agree with that? What do you think, Mayor?
1: Yeah, I think like today itself, Balaji wrote a tweet about a dashboard for all the people making network states. And there are like 20 plus other DAOs in this area. So I wouldn't say other people are duplicating it, but it's like a DAO model of ownership is getting more popular. So we did it with the land. Some people are doing with Empire DAO with workplaces and there are Praxis City, So there are a lot of emerging trends in like co-op, co-ownership model being done by the DAO.
0: And let's just rewind for a second here for the benefit of everyone listening for the first time. Let's talk about what you guys do in your quote unquote real job. What do you do outside of the DAO and how did it lead to this? So maybe it may, or maybe, you go first. What were you doing as like a regular, let's say job or business before you found City DAO, and, and how is it relevant?
1: Yeah. So my background is in like civil engineering and Then I came to U.S. for my master's in architecture and then I went all in in artificial intelligence and technological products for architecture and real estate industry. So my daytime job is working as design technologist for Perkins and Will, second largest architecture firm in U.S. And I really got resonated with the vision of CityDAO and then I joined the developer team there, helping building open source tools and infrastructure to make this scalable. Gotcha. And how did you, like, what was the, the first time you
0: heard about CityDAO? Did you just hear it on a tweet or did someone tell you about it or? Last October, Twitter. That's about the same time as me, actually. Interesting. And, and Daniel, how about yourself? Tell us a little bit about what Daniel does on a regular day before you found CityDAO and, and how that evolved.
2: Oh man, my life was incomplete before I found CityDAO. I'm a career technologist and my background is, is fairly varied after enough time doing this. And, I've worked with enterprises. I've worked with startups, scrappy little side projects just for fun. And going back to really East Denver, let's see, Tricky Optics comes to mind. Some others, certainly a lot that uh, is happening in the green pilled space got me very excited. But the promise of a DAO beyond just a corporation, uh, I think, is very exciting to me. Right, the idea that there could be a new type of ownership and investment by a quote unquote employee. I think there's a lot to explore in that space, and I've been very keen on really going deep on that. So City DAO for me is a big part of, I don't want to go as far as saying defining the future, but certainly defining my own personal future. I actually established an independent consultancy for this, and I'm looking for as many of these types of opportunities as I can get involved in. And being realistic, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, and I think there's probably something in the startup space for Web3 that I'd like to get involved in, and in particular, public goods. So probably going to be working with farmers here before the end of the year is the goal. More on that when it's uh, ready to be more visible, but yeah, I'm just swimming in all this right now.
0: Yeah, me too. To me, it feels like we're in a transition point in history, kind of like the Renaissance period or the Industrial Revolution or the introduction of internet. There's this big transition of what's happening in civilization, and let's put this in context for some of the listeners here. In my understanding of what a network state is or what a network city is, and maybe Mayor Dan, you guys can either critique my own understanding and definition of the word or add to it in your own understandings as well. Because I don't think it's, you know, Balaji's book about the network state obviously is going to probably become a standard definition for the network state, kind of like what, oh, shoot, the Bitcoin standard. I'm totally blanking now on the name. It's so bad, but it's such a great book. The Bitcoin standard to me is such a definition of what Bitcoin is and, and sets that milestone and mark you could say that pivot point of, look, civilization moved up until this point, Bitcoin happened. Now, boop, we change direction. And the next thing's we know, here we are. So with the network state, to me, if we go back to, let's say, Neanderthal man and woman, I should say, to be politically correct, but the Neanderthal human, and we're all scavengers and hunters and running around the earth and picking up and trying to figure out how to survive and, and escape the lions. And slowly we are evolving. Our brains are growing. We're we're starting to cluster closer together. We invented fire, of course. And fire, of course, brings people closer together, which starts to create larger communities that didn't exist prior. And then as time goes on, the concept of agriculture starts to come up for the first time ever, right after the, I think it was the Neolithic age, if I remember correctly, which is the equivalent of the Stone Age. And so agriculture starts to become a thing. And as agriculture becomes a thing, so does abundance of food. But not just abundance of food, it's a centralization of food. And a centralization of food, kind of like a water in the middle of a desert, it acts like an oasis. It draws people in, it draws everything. It draws in animals, but also humans. And the more humans that gather around this food, we start to create a more effective defense mechanism. It's easier to defend when you have 100 humans against a bear than if you have three humans against a bear. And the distance between one little gathering area to another gathering area disappears because you don't have to travel at all. You're just, you're all right there by the food. So there's a whole bunch of efficiencies that get introduced in like a domino effect and it cascades through the agricultural revolution, let's call it. And through that, the density of human gatherings increases to a point where we could start saying that this is the first quote-unquote settlement, where it's not a moving tribe anymore, or it's the first township perhaps. And as time goes on, of course, it evolves and grows. And now we maybe have the first city. And so these cities are, are essentially created out of efficiencies naturally through the, for lack of a better word, technology that we invented as humans, the plow, right? And, and the ability to harness soil and, and grains. Now we're in this spot, fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years, millennia, and we have internet and we have blockchain. And internet is connecting people across the globe in a way that never really happened before. We don't have to be side-by-side neighbors anymore. We have a Zoom call from Denver and Chicago and Calgary, Alberta, and it's as if we're side-by-side. And if we put on some VR glasses, then it almost really does feel like we're side-by-side. So the concept of physical distance is so much less relevant today than it ever was before. And if physical distance is less relevant, then community building Doesn't have distance as a prerequisite. And if community building exists separate from physical distance, then what does a community evolve to? Where are communities evolving into? And and where are they going to be in 10, 20 years? Because we have online communities right now that are substantially larger than some of the recognized countries in the world. I mean, Iceland is a country of, what, if I remember, 590,000 people, and it's its own separate independent country recognized as such and can deal with other countries at that level. I mean, right away, fill in the blank how many other online communities that we know about are larger than Iceland. So what other steps do we need to do in order to be recognized as a country? And is it possible for an online community to be recognized as a country? And I think that the answer to that is intriguing. Whether the answer is yes or no, I mean, I'm inclined to think possibly probably yes, but we'll find out in time. And now that we have these online communities that can physically govern physical assets in the real world, specifically land, like exactly what's happening with the approximate ten thousand people here in CityDAO, we're taking these major milestone, major steps towards a what we're now calling, and where I'm climaxing with all this, a network city, a digital city that has its own set of rules and has come through natural progression of efficiencies and just through technology advances. So that's my my long ramble from a past, present, future of what a network city is. What do you guys think? Do you want to critique me and say I'm crazy or do you have some additions on that? What do you think?
2: Oh man, so many things. I know mayor has a lot of thoughts on this too. So I might give him a chance before I go in too deep on this.
1: Yeah, okay, I can go first. I think like uh, online community is not a new concept and you narrated very well. I think like a big question now is like why network state is important at this moment in time. So I would highly recommend anyone listening, checking out Mark Anderson's investment article where he mentions Web3 and blockchain is the other half of the internet we need. And the reason we have like social layer, coordination layer, economic layer, and if you're using code as language with blockchain, we are in a time where we can implement a network state with built-in blockchain and Web3 infrastructure so it's important to have distinctions why network state is different from online communities and what are other recipes we need to make it happen i love this idea
2: of differentiating an online community versus a network state i mean you know we've certainly had online communities that gained a lot of attention or gained a lot of traction i think a lot of the big social sites in their kind of earlier days it was more of almost like a cult following in a lot of ways and then things became very commercialized I think going back to the thoughts around internet connectivity and what this does, we often think of it as, oh, well, my internet connectivity allows me to do e-commerce or it allows me to go to my favorite social media website or, or whatever it is. But we kind of, I think have lost sight of the fact that internet connectivity allows us to connect with people on the other side of the planet who we otherwise would have gone a lifetime without ever meeting in any context. And the rise of the network state means we can now have these communities which are defined outside of geographical boundaries. I was at a good old-fashioned Web2 conference, and one of the keynote speakers was talking about how much power computing uses, right? And, And I think it may have been a criticism of blockchain in particular. But in any case, it really kind of brought the conversation home to this idea of What are we doing at these conferences? Why are we getting together in this way? Why am I going to get on an international flight and go across the world to spend three days with some like minded people when I can just hop online and make it all happen? And the takeaway from that was travel less, write more, right? And connect with people, find new ways to connect with people. I really think network states have the potential to kind of get enough of that foundation that you can have a recognition, right? We drew these arbitrary geographical boundaries around things and said, Here's the border, right? And we're going to agree that the border is here. And if you're on that side of the border, you're a citizen of country X. And on this side, you're a citizen of country Y. And it has rules and everything else. Well, now that we have borders that go beyond physical boundaries, right? We can travel anywhere in the world with a few clicks on the keyboard. Why don't we define boundaries in novel ways? And I I think, you know, I haven't read Apology's book yet, but I will. And, And I really think it, I'm assuming based on a lot of the conversations that we've had so far, it really gets into some of that and shows what door can be opened up here. So I think Parcel Zero is really at least a representation of a settlement for a network state. I think it's our literal flag planting to say CityDAO claims this space. And and I think it goes beyond the physical space. I mean, a handful of people have been there. I don't know that we're going to build a physical city there, but I certainly would love to see Parcel Zero NFT holders become citizens of the first network city, right? Or at least CityDAO's first network city.
1: Yeah, just to add on that, It's like a uh, even in network state, biology mentions digital first, physical second. And like from my experience itself, when I joined CityDAO Discord, I had a different connections and bonding versus I met a few citizens in Denver in February. So there's also like what's the optimum balance of bonding, connecting over digital and physical. So that's also one thing to consider. So I'm going to drop a few resources
0: into the show notes for this episode for everyone listening to check out, obviously, the link to Balaji's book, The Network State. And here's a quote that I pulled here from a book called City Economics by the author Brendan O'Flaherty. I think I said that correctly. Lions would know. But I'll put that in the show notes. And the quote is essentially that cities could persist as they have for thousands of years only if their advantages offset their disadvantages. So if we think that a city as we know it today, and some people do think that cities as we know them today will never change, and this is how it's going to be for the rest of eternity, people that think that are, you could say, skipping the premise, the foundation, the axiom of why cities exist at all. And it's because there's more advantages and disadvantages. That makes a lot of sense. It's a supply and demand. That's how everything works. So then I ask myself, well, what's the advantages of either an online community or a DAO or putting land on chain? What are the advantages? And if there are advantages, And they happen to be significant, then all of a sudden, what used to be an advantage is now shadowed by a new, greater advantage, which makes the previous advantage actually start to sound and look like a disadvantage. Why would we ever use the old way if the new way is this much better? And so, by default of supply and demand, and again, looking at this, where is the biggest mass of advantages? It raises the question are there sufficient advantages in online communities and with blockchain technology and everything that we're doing to? Displace our old notions and old understandings of what and how a city functions in the geographical border sense. So, I'd love to dive in on your thoughts about, first of all, that concept in general, but also what sort of advantages do we think exist here with Parcel Zero in how we've structured it, in the work that we're doing, and of course, in building online communities and considering them as potentially network cities or network states. So, what do you think, Daniel, is the, let's say, top two advantages of? a online community versus let's say a traditional bordered city and of putting land on chain versus keeping it how it has been for the past few hundred years.
2: Oh man, there's so much we could go into here. I think one of the obvious advantages is reach, right? If you're in a physical city, you're bound to whatever's available within your almost literal arms length, arms reach, whatever resources you can fly or ship or drive in. So you're, you're restricted in that way, and then you have to have people that are willing to move there for different reasons. I think with a network city, and contrast that, being a member of a network city or network state means you are part of a global community, which may have far, far greater reach and far different types of resources that you would have. I mean, you go back to this analogy of growing food together or fighting off the bear or whatever it is. There's value and power of numbers and a diverse background to support the outcomes that you're seeking there. I might throw in a disadvantage of that also is at some point, there's probably going to be a real in life nation state that maybe doesn't like what we're doing. Maybe there are not any laws being broken or anything like that, but maybe they think they deserve it. It's their jurisdiction and they should take control of it or something like that. You know, we see real wars happen because of this. If we declare ourselves to be so independent that we will set our own rules and be sovereign and everything else, I suspect someone else would have an opinion. And one of the things for me that comes up there is the idea of privacy. We could create a network state that says privacy is extremely important to us, and there will be no snooping, there will be no peeking at what's going on, Uh, it will be absolute. Well, if you're behind physical borders of another country, they may feel very different than that. And they say, listen, there is no such concept of privacy in our country. I don't care what network state you think you're a part of, our idea of privacy doesn't apply to you. We don't recognize your sovereignty. So I think we're going to get some real interesting challenges there where we kind of bump heads with that, depending on how far this goes. But to your second question about you know on-chain and advantages of, of being a part of that, listen, I mean, if we said very simply that, let's assume that instead of 250 square foot representative parcels or plots of land, we had literal plots that people could live on that we would have change hands through a traditional deed. And we said, listen, we're just going to do this all on-chain. If you buy or sell the NFT, ownership is immediately recognized as transferred, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those efficiencies are unrivaled. And I think that obviously needs to be developed a bit more, but if it's our own network city and we set the rules, we declare what our constitution is, so to speak, we could easily just wave a wand and say, that's it. If it's on the blockchain, it's good enough for us.
0: And
1: what do you think, Mayor? What would you say are your top two advantages that you see in what we're doing? Yeah. So I think with land on chain, if you compare with the traditional development, let's say you get a land you find a developer you find an investor who wants to build they build number of apartments then they take their profit then sell it if we do this like from bottom up you as a buyer are early in the process so you can reduce a lot of those commissions of middlemen who are in this project cycle so kind of makes it more affordable kind of makes it more accessible like i with the use of blockchain can now invest in other Areas which my traditional banking system I couldn't. So that is one thing. One potential challenge or disadvantage is, for example, early in the network state, you might have nodes where some amount of your community won't be able to travel and access it in some point in future. So how, as a DAO, as a community, you provide benefits and utilities to both people who can visit physically and in your digital nature. So. There are like challenges, but also there are lots of advantages to a network state approach where I think Daniel mentioned briefly, if I voice an opinion towards a particular person in online communities, I can have an on ID and I can voice it without any implications. So what are some decentralized identities around this network state we are building and how to facilitate credibility, accountability, as well as trust when we are building this network state. You know, I think sometimes as well about ease of movement. And if
0: we think about when cities were first coined or used as a word, we're talking thousands of years ago, if I wanted to go from Calgary to Chicago, right? First of all, I'd be doing it probably on horseback. It would probably take months, if not over a year however that goes. I'd probably be risking my life on several occasions throughout that whole journey in terms of, do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? Are there going to be animal attacks? Am I going to get jumped by vandals or hoodlums or whatever? And I don't even know what it is that I'm going to. I don't have any clear idea of what it looks like or ability to talk to people in any sort of capacity that's going to be called fast. Fast doesn't exist back then. Whereas that's changed now, right? Even just the, I mean, the invention of the railway, automobiles, airplanes, the accessibility and the ease of transportation for all of us is, is at a whole different playing field right now. And I had a bit of an identity crisis a couple of years ago. You could say, I say that jokingly, but I was physically a resident and citizen of Canada, but I was in Thailand. So my bed was in Thailand. That's where I slept and my put my butt on the couch. But my company was in Delaware, right? And my employees were in Canada, United States, Philippines, India, all over the place. My My employees were everywhere. So where do I actually live at that point? How do I define where I live? Because if it's where my bed is, well, then that's Thailand. If it's where my work is, then that's the United States. If it's where my registered citizenship is, well, that's Canada. If it's where I spend most of my time talking to people, well, I spent most of my time talking to people in the Philippines at that time. So what is the definition of where I live? And it was a a strange sort of identity crisis, looking back at it now, that seems like just something that probably a lot of people can relate to that naturally leads to, well, a network state is probably a little more realistic. If we had a different set of rules of where I live or how I pay taxes or where I pay taxes, because like if I'm going to be living in Thailand, for example, and and hiring people all across the world, why is all that tax dollar funneling all the way back to Canada where I don't even own a house? There's nothing, right? I'm not even there. I'm not using any of the resources at all. Nothing. I'm doing my dental work in Thailand. I'm not in Canada. I'm not even using the free healthcare. So to me, there's a restructuring that kind of has to happen. And I'm just sort of piggybacking off of this advantages and disadvantages because the ease of movement and the accessibility is no longer a barrier for people to move around and deal with each other.
2: Well, let's flip this around, right? Let's say CityDAO declared that we were a nation state, which I don't think that's going to happen, but let's say we did, right? And we said, if you are a member, you're going to pay these types of taxes. This is how that works. You're going to get these types of benefits for being a, a citizen of CityDAO nation or whatever it is and there'll be a, I don't know, a passport of sorts or something like that. But you're going to have to renounce your Canadian citizenship. I think the answer to would you do that is probably not yet, right? Because when you travel to Thailand, they're going to say, what the hell's this city Dow passport? We're not going to let you in. But what would it take in order for you to make that leap?
0: Yeah. And I love how you said not yet, because it's true. It's not yet, but it's not no. It's not like never. It's not yet. And so, what are the differences? I see like an evolution. I think before we reject and completely discard the concept of our existing country systems, we're going to be in a a state of blending the two together and seeing how they harmonize. So there's two questions here. One is, what would have to happen for me to be comfortable joining a city that was declared by, let's say, CityDAO or fill in the blank? That's one part. And the other part of the equation is, when would I be ready to renounce my Canadian citizenship? And if I break it down into those parts, I would be ready to. I mean, I mean, I already am a citizen of CityDAO. You could say. But what does it really give me in terms of functionality on my day-to-day life? And if there was a place for me to sleep, if there was like, let's say some real estate that was set up all across the world and I could book and set up, let's just say there was a system of, for lack of a better word, for visual purposes, Airbnbs set up that were organized and owned by the DAO. And I could, by default of being a citizen, I would have access to them and a bed to put my head down on. That would be one big thing. If I was to get some sort of benefits, whether that's medical or insurance, maybe insurance benefits might be the simplest one to implement. We could probably, without too much hassle, set up an insurance plan where people that are part of the DAO, if they're willing to go through whatever insurance verification process that would be required, maybe they could get some insurance or maybe there's some travel benefits or maybe there's some perks. And the stronger the perks get, for lack of a better word, I'll just say perks, but the stronger they get, the more incentive there is for me to join and the higher price I'm willing to pay. And when the advantages start to hit par, hit parity with some of the other advantages I might get somewhere else, then I'll start dropping those somewhere else memberships and plans or whatever it happens to be. To renounce my Canadian citizenship, that's kind of like the next level. And one of the biggest, to me, the core purpose and function of a government is to protect my individual rights. Now, sadly, government has evolved to be so much more than that, today. And and of course, it manages and micromanages every aspect of commerce that we can think of. And I don't mean to get super political here, but fundamentally, the foundations of a government is to protect my rights. And that's with a police force on a physical day-to-day basis, where people can't break into my house or steal my goods, on a civil matter by providing judges to sort out disputes and contractual problems. And then on a military basis, you could say country to country, where if an opposing force was just so monstrous and, and monumental, that we could pool resources and have our own fighter jets that would protect our boundaries. So that's to me what the core purpose of a city is. And the thing is that today there's a new type of threat, and that's anything digital. That's hacking, that's exploiting, that's ransomware. And countries right now are extraordinarily inefficient at dealing with this in any capacity whatsoever. So I think there's an astoundingly growing need to have a system of defense that people can participate in that would provide a form of defense against hacks, exploits, ransoms. And if that existed, this would be a new type of defense that would almost par value, you could say, with a police force to protect my windows of my house. And that's the tipping point that I would start to consider. "Hmm, Where am I more in danger? Am I more in danger of having someone break into my house or am I more in danger of having someone hack all my shit on my computer and and steal my life savings, so to say, fill in the blank those are the kind of things I think about. It doesn't fully answer your question because I guess to let go of my citizenship in Canada, somehow the physical protection of my physical body and my place that I'm living would have to be a part of it. Now, I guess you could say if Citadel owned land in different parts of the world and had a security team set up in place and the security team was in charge of defending those places that I happen to be living in and protecting people that are inside, residents and citizens like myself that are inside it, that could start to tip the balance. And maybe that's when I would let go of my Canadian citizenship. How about you guys? Or or actually, do you have any comments on that? I mean, I haven't really thought about this before. I'm kind of verbal vomiting here.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I think what I'm hearing is CityDAO's next move is our branch of the military will be a digital defense force, right? And I I guess what, we'll, we'll start drafting citizens to become cybersecurity experts, right? You've got to put your time in for your country, right?
0: I would be happy to pay some sort of a tax that would just flat out protect me from digital harm. That's something that would be willingly drawn out of my, just shut up and take my money type of situation.
2: Well, I've kind of already thought about like starting like a citizen benefits guild or something, you know, I don't, just in the terms we've been talking about these types of things. I think there do need to be citizen benefits that are offered as part of being a citizen of Citidow. Going back to April, right? We talked a lot about bringing an accountant in house, for example, where citizens could sit down with the accountant and say, hey, can you help me walk through this, right? The Dow has a treasury which was funded by our money, right? I'm a citizen of the United States. I didn't have to like buy into that. Well, I did buy into CityDAO. So that money that CityDAO holds has already been collected from citizens. I think we should be spending money on citizen benefits, those perks that we can offer. I think that's actually a really great use of the funds that we have currently available. And why wait until we have a real physical city to start doing these things? So I think there's a real opportunity there, but I think I'm saying tongue in cheek, obviously, about this idea of a digital defense force, but there probably are some things that we could offer citizens and say, listen, if you're going to be part of this future network state, real physical governments have to be worried about bombs and planes and everything else and soldiers walking across your soil. But we have to be worried about digital tax, right? Cybersecurity is a real concern. So why don't we have some type of benefit to citizens that protect against that future
1: reality? Yeah. I'm just thinking like, what if so we are seeing this network state phenomena. But in real life, we have some countries who have better security, better benefits than other countries. And when we see migration trends, we could detect what if there is some XYZ DAOs setting a land right beside City DAO with many more benefits? Are citizens going to migrate for that? And long term, I was just thinking, what if we provide network state or nation state as a service wherever I go? I subscribe to that service for my city. Could be a great for digital nomad community where they're traveling. Why do we need one static citizenship? And I wonder then, like, if we take this, I'm just
0: brainstorming here. What if the benefits of being a network state citizen of whatever organization, Citadel or otherwise, what if the benefits were so strong that the benefits of in a traditional city were almost obsolete, but we still end up with this physical country to country border issue? So first of all, is there even a necessity at that point? Like, If everyone in the world lived in an, some version of a network state that had land scattered all over the place, is there really now a border at a country line that even needs to be defended? If in Canada, let's say there's, I don't know, what, 40 million people here, and let's say that out of the 40 million people, we end up divided up into 20,000 different citizens of 20,000 different network states set out. And there might be a million in one network state and maybe only 20 in another network state. Who knows? Some are bigger and, and smaller. But if we are all divided up in that way, then what's Canada at that point? What's the United States at that point? Is there even a border between the physical territories of what used to be called a country to another country versus just having, you could almost say, militia style enforcement? Let's say that the network state in Canada that happens to have the million people, maybe there's 20,000 pieces of land as well. And those million people are bouncing around between those 20,000 pieces of land. And the same thing happens globally for the same citizens of that same community. And all over the world is all these pieces. There could be at that point with revenue that are generated from it, there could be enough to fund a private contracted military force, you could say. And that could Provide us with the defense that we need now, the challenge of course, I think that brings up inevitably is that all the different communities, all the different network states would have to agree on what the definition of our rights are and what are the boundaries and what justifies what is an attack and what is it a defense because otherwise we're all just going to be arguing over semantics, right oh he's wearing his his haircut's too short, and that's offensive, so we need to go attack. I have no idea how we would define we would have to all agree collectively on some sort of fundamental Do not do this from one network state to another network state. Otherwise, you're going to be triggering fill in the blank. And if, kind of like you could say, NATO, if these network states were organized and coordinated in in such a way to form a majority opinion of what fundamental rights are, then those other communities or other network states that might violate the majority understanding of what those rights are would be in violation. And now, not just have the force of one community going after them, but the collective group of those forces going after them, but no longer from a traditional physical border sense. I'm kind of going way in the future here. And some of this might be hard to imagine for some people listening, but I almost think of the John Lennon song. Imagine, if you guys remember the lyrics, can you imagine no heaven? Can you imagine no war? And it's a challenge, right? John Lennon is challenging us. Can we actually imagine what a world would be like that didn't have in his song possessions? Is that even a concept we can grasp in our puny little brains or not? And right now, what we're doing with exploring this network state concept, can we imagine what a world would actually, even in the song, the lyrics, can you imagine no countries, right? There's a parallel there. Am I the only one that sees that or or what?
2: No, no, I'm I'm totally on board with this. I think, I don't remember who to attribute this to, but to achieve what's possible, we have to dream about what's impossible. And I think there's a huge difference between having this conversation in the context of, all right, we're going to implement this next week or next year versus just what if, right? Just allow the mind to consider what it might be like if, imagine, right? If we didn't have borders and, and these other ideas. And it's really fascinating. I think in the real world, one of the challenges we're obviously going to run into is I'm not going to be able to declare my home in the United States, as now non United States property, I'm going to stop paying United States taxes. What do I do when someone tries to rob my house and say, we're going to take this country back away from you? You know, the police won't even show up. Are the, you know, the city down nation defense force going to fly in and defend my home and retrieve it from the hands of the US military? You know, I mean, I just, you know, I, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many real challenges that we would have to put that in place, but. I do love this idea of like, what if, right? What if we could do that? I actually think a lot of the ideas in radical markets around making land, making land a public good, that to me kind of touches on those ideas a lot of saying like, what if we were to say there was no ownership of land? It didn't exchange hands privately and enrich the seller and require the buyer to go into great debt in order to have a home. What if we used any of these mechanisms, these public goods mechanisms for, for doing that? I don't know how we get there, right? So Yeah, this is a long ways off, but what if, right? What if there were something available here that we could experiment with? At what point does the United States acknowledge that if you are making money as a city citizen, you don't have to pay US taxes anymore? I don't see that happening, right? So, listen, if you're inside of our borders, I don't care what network states you're a part of, you're going to respect our laws, you're going to pay our taxes, and those types of things. So, I don't ever really see that going away. But maybe there is a country that we could, I don't know, buy out and, and say, you know, some island in Mauritius or something where DAO's sovereign nation exists, you know, and then we can experiment wildly with these things. But gosh, there's a lot of real life hurdles to overcome. But what if, right? What if we could do some of those things?
1: Yeah, I must say, like, there are startup cities and charter cities, like concept where you have, like, special economic zone and they govern the laws. So... I think like network state is like not zero or one, like a binary. It's like a gradient, like you do step by step. So we partially have solved the puzzle of governance, assets acknowledgement. Then we might start with borrowed security or pact, then like full security, because this takes a lot of money. It's not like okay, we decided we form our own sports and tomorrow someone throws a bar on that line and like we are zero. It's not that straightforward.
2: Do you think Park County, Wyoming could get in on this and give us a little bit of free reign? You know, and say, (laughs) yeah, you'll, you're, you know, if you, if somebody's a Parcel Zero NFT holder, we'll recognize them as part of your Park County, Wyoming network state. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we have to find some jurisdiction that is willing to give us a little slack and trial something. And I, I don't know where that is. If we
0: go back to Leonardo da Vinci drawing up the first schematics for flight machines hundreds of years before anyone actually took flight. It looked crazy. It looked impossible. None of the details were clear. Everything was just off, but the idea was there and it was an intriguing idea and people stuck with it and worked with it until now I can drive to my local airport and fly one myself for $75 or a hundred bucks on a test flight. I can go fly one myself with no training, just jump in because there's someone there that's going to teach me and, and help me. we got this concept of how do we live better? How do we do better? It's something that everyone on the planet can always agree on, no matter what race, religion, location, whatever, better is possible. We're all united by that. And what does a better country look like? And what is the next step in online communities? And there's enough people asking that question to form communities such as CityDAO to brainstorm on it. And then there's enough interest for someone to put a tweet out and say, hey, what if we decentralize land ownership as well? And then there's enough conviction for that community to go through and fork up money to pay for and explore and make it happen. And simultaneously, there's, you know, legislation out in Wyoming and, and there are others now as too. I think Tennessee just opened up their Dow legislation as well, which is kind of a copycat, if I understand correctly, of the Wyoming one. And of course the Republic of the Marshall Islands and and there's some others that are popping up too. And so there's jurisdictions of these politicians who at first glance would be like, oh, no politician would give up their power or do something crazy and wild and experiment. Well yes, they will, they do. I mean, that's what the United States is, is an experiment on independence. That's how, you know, essentially the United States was formed. It was formed at a frustration of an old way, about an idea for a new way, and enough conviction to carry it forward. And Wyoming, I think, has done something that's going to stand out in history for a long time by being the first state to recognize a DAO. Now we've made another step. We've got actual politicians and legislation that accommodates a tiny baby step in this direction. And so if we look at the amount of steps we've already taken towards a network state, it makes me feel like the next steps are going to start to unravel as we keep moving forward and it might seem impossible to see the end of the staircase right now because there's so many steps and it's all covered in the dark but like the old hermit tarot card so to say there's just enough light within our immediate 200 feet to see where we're going to step next and to see what we have to do next and then of course intellectuals and thought leaders are coming out on the subject too and, and working with us in tandem without us really even realizing like biology and writing his book there is a huge way to go you're totally right daniel and i have no idea how long it's going to take or if it's going to be in our lifetime or what. But when I actually look at the steps we've taken as a species so far in this direction, it's surprising. I never really considered how many steps we've taken already in that direction.
2: Yeah. And it's you can't necessarily see beyond the candlelight, right? Like whatever that next step is. I was even having a conversation with someone today about Twitter because obviously it's such a major communication platform for individuals, politicians, everybody, even people that you wouldn't think deserve a voice or that you wouldn't want to be broadcasting a voice, but it's out there, right? And you have this thing. And you think about the very earliest days of Twitter, the person I was speaking with was saying, you heard about this and you say, what, This? you can send 140, 160 characters and this is somehow novel and I'm supposed to, what, be tweeting out every little thing that I do throughout my day and this is going to be interesting to people? You couldn't at all imagine that it would become anything, let alone what it is today. And I think with all of this kind of exploration, actually, this is what I think is so exciting about Web3 in general right now is it's it's kind of like this palpable potential. Like, you know, there's something there. You don't quite know exactly what it looks like or where you're going to be 10 steps from now, but you can tell that there's raw ingredients, raw materials available to build something really interesting here. And the only way that happens is one tiny little experimental step at a time. And then you get to see the light beyond that step. And then you keep making those little incremental steps. And eventually you get to a point and you go, wait, we're here. This is what this became, you know, and that's the only way you get there, right? You just have to keep doing that. And I think the work that we're doing now, uh, especially for Parcel Zero and the excitement that we had around bringing, I mean, the way Major, like was able to take the geodata for each of the plots that were identified in crazy shapes and different areas and everything else, and actually, cut out the image so that when someone has an NFT, it's not just some arbitrary piece of parcel zero. It's the literal plot that all of the related metadata and everything was drawn from using, you know, kind of more traditional GIS analysis of that. And that is just kind of an interesting little thing. Is it going to be a stepping stone to something greater? Maybe. Are we at a point where we've generated or identified some new type of primitive for putting land on chain? Maybe, right? But again, the goal here isn't to declare that we've done this amazing radical thing that's changing everything. But it may be one tiny little step towards the next giant that the next whoever can come along and stand on the shoulders of, right? And we're just one tiny little piece of that puzzle here, one tiny little experimental step at a time.
0: And that's what Parcel Zero is, right? That this is an episode to discuss Parcel Zero, and we didn't specifically dive into the mechanics or the coding or the software or the, because there's so many subjects we talk about that on a micro level, but parcel zero is a step towards the network state and whatever the definition of a network state is, or your understanding of it, or however it evolves and becomes, we could replace the word with parcel zero is a step towards functioning better and more efficiently and effectively as a species. That's how I see it. To me, that's what parcel zero is. When people ask me what parcel zero is, that's my answer. How about you guys? we've got to wrap up here pretty soon. I know uh, we've got a couple of things coming up. But what would you say, Mayor, what's your definition? What is Parcel
1: Zero to you? Yeah, so we are in a stage where we are building the plane as we are flying. So if we are building decentralized city, like Parcel Zero is CityDAO's investigation to make a blueprint for a network state and a decentralized city infrastructure. So experiments like what we are doing with the NFT, open sourcing the tools, open sourcing the governance and coordination. People can literally study it, write the thesis or mimic it to make their own version. It's like similar in DeFi. You can fork a particular DeFi protocol, add your own tweaks. You can fork 30,000 network state and take it on to the next level. And what do you think, Daniel? What's Parcel Zero to you?
2: I think Parcel Zero is... I might go as far as Citadel's first network state settlement. I think it's an experiment in what it might look like if we were to move land on chain and have ownership and citizenship. I mean, we have the governance piece of this already that we're going to start exploring. It's an opportunity. It's our test lab, right? It's it's an opportunity to try out wild, radical things where the stakes are a little bit lower, right? There wasn't a buy-in to this. People didn't have to pay a boatload of money to be a part of it they're not having to decide whether or not they're going to live in plot 12 or plot 473, whatever it is, this is a chance to do some really crazy things with very, very little risk. So I hope we take advantage of that.
0: Well, we have a lot more work to do coming up in the DAO. It's been a a wild six months figuring out how to work together, how do the puzzle pieces fit together, who's doing what and how and where. Literally, it's just this community of thousands of people mashed together. And essentially, we have to just figure it out. And make it happen. So Parcel Zero to me is a is a huge accomplishment that took a lot to get to. And now that we're here, now we get to move forward. And moving forward is pretty much all that matters now. Everything that's in the past is in the past. It's gone. Right now, well, I mean, it's not gone, but I mean, it's it's no longer relevant to what's coming up and what we're working on in the future. So I'm really excited to be working with both of you on this and everyone here at CityDell. Remember, if you're listening, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, join the Discord, be a part of the conversations, voice your opinion, DM me anytime. I'm meme brains on Twitter. I'm meme brains also on the Discord. Ping any one of us. And you know we want to get you guys in the chat. We want to get everyone in the discussion so that we can make progress together towards this better is possible vision. We all agree that better is possible. So let's get there together and keep in mind that that's the premise that, that unites us all. I, I know that we've got to wrap up. So maybe we'll do another one of these in the not too far off future.
1: But thanks, guys, for your time. Any last thoughts here before I uh, pull the plug? Shout out to you for getting the communication around network state and spreading out the message and hosting amazing people. So great, great efforts and I'm fortunate and glad to be a part of this community. Right on. Thanks, Mayor. Appreciate it. And Daniel, anything uh, you want to add out that's
0: in your mind and get it off on the table here uh, before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, really, really appreciate the work that you're doing here. Really appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. Denver Citizen 9 on Discord, Deep Dan on Twitter. Hope to keep this conversation going and looking forward to next opportunities.
0: Awesome. Well, there's going to be some show notes links so that things that we were talking about today, you can access and find. And yeah, ping us, message us. We're all here. We're all available. It's an open discussion. Remember to join community calls. There's one every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. Anyone can participate. Everyone can participate. Put your hand up. You can ask questions. We do AMAs. I really encourage everyone to just get involved because we're very welcoming and we want to get more people working towards this better future. So everyone listening, have a great day. We'll we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.